Hey, Adam, where are we? Uh, we are at the Chinatown Family Fair Fun Center. It's the last dedicated arcade in New York City. Yeah, this place is amazing. It has just a little bit of everything, like some familiar games, like some shooters, some Dance Dance Revolution, some skee-ball. It's extremely loud and extremely bright. I could probably stay in here for a couple of hours playing games and drop 20 bucks in half an hour. Uh, I believe it opens up at like 11 a.m. And when you walk out of here after however much time you spend, you realize that, oh, it's still daytime and you're rubbing your eyeballs to the dreariness because you just basically walked out of like an arcade dungeon. Welcome to the first episode of the Weekly Weekly Podcast. I'm Adam. And I'm John. Weekly Weekly showcases the work of our favorite artists, creators, and designers, inspiring you to start something of your own next week. And so for our first podcast, we're interviewing Mark Kleback, who makes music and arcade games. Let's go find Mark. Let's go find Mark. No, sorry, that two by four should do the job. All right. <laughs> thanks for thanks for having us here. Yeah, this is awesome. I'm just like, yeah, like hey, I'm overwhelmed. Stare. This is there's so much <laughs> stuff in here. Yeah. We want to give us a tour. Back um, here. Um, yeah. Oh, Glow Forge. Glow Forge, got it. It's cool. It's, it's nice, right? It's uh, it's pretty good, I have to say. Mark, tell us what you do. So we're here at Floating Point. This is my work studio. I pretty much work on three different things. I work on mainly the Death by Audio Arcade, which is a nonprofit of um, custom-made indie arcade cabinets, um, and we throw events around New York. I also uh, do work out of Floating Point for like corporate clients to make money, um, interactive art, mainly usually with LEDs, um, and I make music. So with Death by Audio, you mentioned that you guys make uh, arcade cabinets. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that. I used to live at a music venue called Death by Audio uh, from 2009 to 2014 when it closed. Um, well, Death by Audio um, was a warehouse in uh, on South 2nd Street in Williamsburg. I moved in in 2009, and uh, it was a group of musicians and artists who lived in this warehouse. Death by Audio started as a guitar pedal company, um, started by Oliver Ackerman. And um, they had a workshop in Bushwick prior to 2005, and they moved it to this building. And so what started as Death by Audio Pedals became like shows at the Death by Audio Pedal Workshop, which became Death by Audio, the music venue. And it was cool. You could sort of do anything you wanted there. Uh, you could paint the walls. You could like play music at any time. It was just a really inspiring, creative atmosphere. What kind of music were you making yourself at Death by Audio? So living at Death by Audio, I learned a lot because all of their guitar pedals were like these analog circuits, kind of how uh, sound processing worked on like a, an analog level. So I started incorporating, you know, synthesizer sounds into my drums and like doing a lot of like contact mic stuff, which eventually kind of led me away from drumming a little bit. Actually, we want to take a, take a listen to uh, Axos. Yeah, so this is a this is a song uh, that we made as Mega Yes. This was with uh, Azer Lichtenstein and Ryan Viglito. Um, we were all going to school at the NYU ITP program, and um, this song Azer was on drums and I was playing mainly saxophone through a loop pedal. And so that's what this made. Thank you. 
how did your music evolve since doing, you know, sort of this live band traditional, not that playing a saxophone through a loop pedal is traditional in any sense, but um, how, how did you evolve from that in, into the music you are, you are today? So what's interesting is like, I came from a place where like, I was in a band, we rehearsed, we wrote songs, we practiced those songs, then we played those songs live, and that was how it worked. Um, and I think now doing stuff with like modular synths and being able to like sort of um, tempo match everything through like voltage, um, you can sort of be a little more freeform. We just did this 12-hour drone show out in this at this venue, Hollow in Ridgewood. Um, there were about 50 people who performed there, and it was just this free-form, like drone that lasted from noon until midnight. And for that, the way you 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 put this together and you paired up musicians, but you paired them up. In a, in, a, in a sort of special way that they sort of were able to determine who they collaborated with, but also not able to determine who they collaborated with. So how how did you work that out? So um, so this is kind of funny because I didn't think this would work at all. Back uh, when Death by Audio was closing uh, in 2014, I decided to try this 24-hour drone show that was not in the music venue, but it was actually in the place where we lived in our house, um, and we set up four stations with like amps and speakers. And uh, I just made a Google spreadsheet with empty time slots and I emailed it to all my friends. And then I had the guy who booked the venue uh, email it to a lot of musicians he knew and people just signed up for slots. And every slot was overlapping. So like someone would play from 12 to one and then someone would play from 12.30 to 1.30. And so there was never, uh, there was never like a stop in the music. And so we did the same thing. And I was like, this worked before, let me just release this Google spreadsheet again and see what happens. And like, it worked. People signed up. That's amazing. What was the difference between the first one and the second one? Oh my god. Uh, 12 hours is certainly different than 24 hours. Especially when you're doing it from noon to midnight because, you know, generally speaking, people are usually awake for those hours. When you do 24 hours, you get this crazy depraved, like, moment between like, three in the morning and eight in the morning where like people haven't quite slept and they're not quite awake. Some guy fell asleep with his finger on a keyboard, you know? There's a guy like gargling water with a contact mic on his throat. And it was like, in the back of Death by Audio, we just kept all the lights off the whole time and kept a fog machine and a bunch of lasers on the entire time. So it was just like this, fucking sensory mind fuck where you didn't know what time it was ever. So it this was, was a David Lynch experience, basically. Yeah, it was really insane. Um, it was probably one of the most insane things I've ever experienced. Um, this time, it was very, like, mature. Cool. So, how do you draw a thread from the drone music work that you're doing today to the arcade systems that you're working on? What's, like, the, your personal thread? Back in 2010, um, I had a friend who I went to high school with who ended up going to grad school for game design. And he introduced me to the concept of a MAME cabinet, M-A-M-E, which is a multiple arcade machine emulator. And um, 
I started getting really into like looking at how these were built because they were basically these people on the internet who would build their own arcade cabinet and then they'd put a bunch of like old arcade ROMs from the 80s on them. So we were like, we have this music venue. If I built this cabinet, can we throw it in Death by Audio? And they were like, sure. Uh, we had these old computers lying around. Uh, you know, you don't need much to run these emulators. So we built a little box cabinet with a coin slot, loaded up like X-Men and Altered Beast and threw it in the venue. And people would like go in and put quarters in and play these old games. So in uh, 2013, I decided to reach out to the NYU Game Center, which was relatively new at the time, and say, if anyone has a game here, uh, I will lend my skills as a fabricator and help like build a cabinet for your game. Um, and I got several responses. Uh, the first game was Crystal Brawl, which was a four-player capture the flag. Uh, the second game was called Field One. And um, both of those cabinets developed on totally independent tracks. The Crystal Brawl team came to Death by Audio. We built the cabinet together. While the Field One team went out to Long Island to like a garage, built the whole cabinet themselves, and just brought the finished one to us at the end. Okay. So in that moment of the two different teams who were kind of like your proto cabinets, one worked with you and made the cabinet together. One went ahead and built their own out in Long Island. What was kind of like the big differences that you saw as they both kind of came together? I mean, when it comes to building arcade cabinets in like 2013, you know, sky's the limit, right? Because most of it is empty. You know, computers are tiny. Screens are like LCDs. They're mm -hmm. really thin. So you can do what you want with the design. Um, for Crystal Brawl, we decided to do um, like a pretty standard uh, cabinet with like a four-player console that was detachable on the front. So that like to get it through a door, you could just <laughs> unbolt the console, unplug the USB, like move it. Right. Um, the Field 1 cabinet, they had Xbox controllers that like hung out in these slots on the front that were just like wired in. So they didn't, they didn't really go for like a console idea with joysticks and buttons, um, which I found like that's a whole rabbit hole. But um, that cabinet actually soon after Death by Audio moved to the Brooklyn Brewery where it lived in the tap room. I think it still does. It hasn't really come out to our shows in a long time. Um, but, you know, it was cool. I, like they did a really awesome marquee that was like CNC cut. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. What is your role in this? Because you've gone from uh, musician to floating point, which is sort of fabrication. You've done some game development, but as far as building these cabinets, you know, what's your, what's your real role in this whole thing? So as like Death by Audio gained momentum, uh, the arcade, um, we started adding more and more cabinets to the collection. And what I wanted to do was bring game developers in and like pretty much put a circular saw in their hand and be like, this is not that hard, you know, I will teach you. Um, and that like was, pr that worked pretty well. Like I think I got people comfortable with like soldering buttons and joysticks and like, you know, maybe using a drill to like fix something. Um, I think, and maybe I'm just making a generalization here, but a lot of programmers don't have a lot of fabrication experience, right? It's like game developers live in the screen. And so um, being able to like maybe introduce these people to like physical uh, ways of building things could sort of uh, expand what they can do. 
Andy Wallace and Jane Friedhoff worked, are two members of our collective. They each have a cabinet, uh, Particle Mace and Slam City Oracles. Those games had been finished before we built the cabinet. This past year, they collaborated on a game called Salmon Roll. Uh, Salmon Roll is played using like a eight foot long two by four <laughs> with a joystick at each end. The whole point was like, they were like, how do we get two people to play this game together and make it impossible for one person to play it? And it's like, well, if we just put the joysticks further than your wingspan, then you have to just have an, a partner. Um, and it was cool. I had like, so I had been a part of the fabrication and electronics of almost every single piece of Death by Audio Arcade, but they were able to actually design and build this controller without my help, um, which I think is amazing because this is like my, what I intended from the beginning is like, I want to get people into like electronics and building and you know, they didn't build a cabinet, but they built like this really robust controller that works really well. And there's something really interesting, I think, about the fact that you're making these sort of one-of-a-kind things. And normal game developers like, I'm going to make this thing and sell it to a billion people across the globe. And you're like, let's make one. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I think these games, some of them do exist in a digital form. Uh, one of our developers, uh, Michael Consoli, has a game called Nothing Good Can Come Of This. And it's basically there's two people in a room and a gun falls from the ceiling and you have to like shoot the other person as fast as you can. You can buy this game on Steam or on itch.io, but like if you don't have another person, it's not really that fun. Like there's not an AI. However, when this cabinet goes anywhere, it's a fucking huge hit because rounds are like 10 seconds. People get super into it. We've had tournaments with like 60 people. Like it's a huge hit. And whenever we bring it, like people are like, I remember this from last year. Um, it's just a different environment. Not every game that's in an arcade is gonna be fun by yourself, you know, in your room. And so I'm trying to be like, there is a, there's a place for these games that isn't like on an Xbox or on Steam, right? So since DBA is an arts nonprofit, you're pitching grants under the, the umbrella of video games are art. Is that correct? Yes. And I don't think it's hard to make that argument anymore because Museum of the Moving Image does Indiecade. They have a permanent, permanent video game showcase in their museum. Um, the Smithsonian we've shown at now twice. Uh, we've driven our machines to DC and set them up. They have an indie showcase every year. Um, if you look at the trajectory of video games, it, it sort of mimics like film in a certain way where like at the beginning people were like, oh, this is like this new technology, I don't know. And now it's like, okay, we can we have this like retrospective where we can trace the evolution and there there's an art form to it. You know, that's hard to, you can't, it's hard to make the argument against that. What are some, I'm sure you've learned some things as you've gone to, through the process of establishing a nonprofit. What are like some tips for folks who might be thinking about like establishing an arts nonprofit in a field that's kind of as fresh or cutting edge as mm. video games. Um, when you apply to be a nonprofit, I'll just say it's not something that's going to happen overnight. It took us probably a year and a half from when we started filing paperwork to when we got the 501c3. We had an IRS agent who just like kept coming back to us with more and more questions like didn't really understand what our mission was. Um, you know, there were there were aspects that uh, we had to kind of explain time and time again. It's like these cabinets are like artistic installations. You know, it's not, like they're not 
necessarily for sale. Um, and I think we had to take out a lot of the wording. Like when we do things for corporate clients, we can't do them as the nonprofit. We, we use another name and it's sort of like a different thing. Um, and so that was a big, important discerning factor. Um, but it's, it's like this really rewarding thing once you have it, because now, you know, there's so many grants available through like NEA and all these other organizations that are like looking to bring in new artists and new events. And so, uh, we're just starting this grant writing process to like look forward to events for this year and next year. Cool. So you've gone from mega yes into the drone music into sort of the synth stuff. You're the musician and I don't really necessarily understand how to, you know, composing for a live band versus composing for a drone show versus composing for a video game is very different. So what are the aspects of composing music for video games uh, that are, are interesting to you and can you introduce some of the music that you've composed uh, for these video games? Sure. Um, so the there's one track on SoundCloud uh, that's the theme for uh, a game that we made for the company Soylent. They, uh, they, they saw the arcades and they said, you know, will you guys build us a custom cabinet? Um, they were like launching some new product in LA. And we said, you know, what game do you want? And they said, could you design a custom game for us? And so I got together with some members of DBA and we conceptualized a four-player silent game. And we built it for them. We put it on two cabinets and we shipped them to LA. And uh, I think there's still one at like an esports arena in San Jose, if you want to play it. It's called Hungry Hungry Astronauts. Um, (laughs) And while we were building this game, uh, I realized that we didn't have a composer to do the soundtrack. So um, I was doing a lot of stuff with synthesizers and I decided to take a stab at um, the soundtrack for Hungry Hungry Astronauts. So that's what this track is. So you have a nonprofit now. You're thinking about the future. Where do you see DBA and arcade cabinets in your world two, three years from now? It would be nice to have people on payroll. <laughs> uh, sure. I would love to pay the person doing our social media, for instance, or like to be like, hey, do you want to help me unload this box truck? There's money in it for you, you know, versus like, please help. Like, We I, have some leftover soylent for yeah, you. I could give yeah. you a bottle of soylent. Um, I, I don't think it's too far off. I think being able to maybe apply and get a couple grants to make this happen would be great. Um, you know, we just did a huge festival down in DC and I met some people in Philadelphia that are kind of doing a similar thing. So maybe being able to not like franchise, but have other collectives that we can work with in other cities that are doing similar things and we can like exchange resources and things yeah. like that. It in, does sound like between things like the ease of fabrication and development that there's a burgeoning network of a global community around this stuff, at least national. Yeah. I think, it, you know, if you go to other cities other than New York, which is kind of funny, there's there tends to be a weird arcade bar 
There's a great one in Chicago called Logan's Arcade. Mm -hmm. uh, there's Brewcade in San Francisco. And these places have weird indie cabinets. Um, and New York, for whatever reason, probably rent, just doesn't have that. Um, there's barcades, you know, which is great for like the nostalgic crowd that wants to like go play Pac-Man. But, you know, I think one dream of mine for the future would be to have like a dedicated indie arcade bar, um, maybe team up with baby castles and be able to like have events and things at a place rather than like have a box truck and have to tour around all the time. I, yeah. I like that your future thinking ties it back to kind of your original roots of like, this should be a venue. This should be a place where people come and congregate and experience something together. Yeah. So the thing that you want to do in the future is the thing that you've been doing for the last 20 years. Sure. I mean, it's certainly the easier route, right? It's like, Hey, we need a venue for this next event. Like, let's like get on the horn and try and find a venue. Right. And like, let's try and find alcohol. Like also logistics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, you know, hopefully that's in the future. We'll see what happens. Is there anything you want to pitch? So uh, February 3rd is uh, an opening that we're doing at this new venue elsewhere in Bushwick. And they have an art space above their venue, which is in this place called The Loft. And so we're going to be there from February 3rd to March 3rd. And we're also teaming up with this collective called The Sheep's Meow. They're another arcade collective based in New Jersey. So they're bringing in some games. Um, we're showcasing a game from these Argentinian developers called Dobotone. Um, and there's going to be events. And uh, we're promoting our membership platform called Friends, which uh, is a new donation platform developed by Kunal Gupta and Joe Ahern. And, um, all members of Death by Audio Arcade get 50% off to specific elsewhere shows during this time. Uh, so it's a really good deal. Um, our memberships are like super low bar, but you get cool swag and discounts. So, um, how, yes. How do I sign up for that? Uh, so there is a URL that uh, is really long. I should maybe make a bit.ly version of it. And perhaps you'll find it in the notes of this podcast. Yeah. And maybe somewhere down the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, the platform is withfriends.com, and it's a really great way for uh, people to donate to organizations and become members. And so um, we're trying it out. Cool. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on this inaugural podcast of our journey. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Go to theweeklyweekly.com to sign up for the newsletter where you can see more work from our network of creators. If you have any feedback, want to tell us anything, or know somebody that might be really interesting for the podcast, please send it to adam at theweeklyweekly.com. Remember that The Weekly Weekly is here to inspire you to take your first step. Keep listening, keep reading. We can't wait to hear about your first time.